Hey everybody, uh, before we get started, I want to ask you a quick favor. Uh, if you could please download and complete a short anonymous survey. Uh, it will take no longer than five minutes. Your answers will help our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of this podcast and listeners like you. Everybody who completes the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Uh, they promise not to share or sell your email, and they won't send you an email unless you win. So go to www.podsurvey.com slash R-I-Y-L. That's three W's, a dot, podsurvey, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com. It's spelled C-O-M slash R-I-Y-L, which is the name of the show that you're listening to right now, to take that survey and uh, enter a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Uh, that's it. It's all the interruptions for the show. Just from here on out, it's an interview with Mark Marin. Uh, uh, first time, actually, we've ever had a repeat guest on the show. Last time we talked to him was 15 minutes long. It's longer this time. That much I can promise you. Uh, I think it's a pretty good one. So stick around. Mark Marin coming up right, uh, right now, in fact. Yeah, what? You, that's a bad, yeah, that's a bad conversation. Especially it the has, good ones. It's only happened twice, really, where I've completely lost him. What do you One, do? You go back? I I lost John Hodgman twice. Okay. Well, I John Hodgman. Him. I mean, like you know, he's a good person to lose just because like you got to wait though. Like the yeah. first interview was great, and I did it on the Zoom, and I mislabeled the file. Yeah. And I threw it out, but now I make sure I, I save everything at least three places before I throw anything out, like the. So, like, I got to throw out three things yeah. to be completely without one. I have my computer on me right now, so I can just pull out the SD card and immediately suck it up. Yeah, because right. I've had that I do that a few too, times. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, see, you seem to be in, in good spirits. I was talking to Haley before, and I was a little bit worried just because, like, you know, tail end of the day, it could kind of go I'm a professional, way. man. Are you kidding? I used to do morning radio. Yeah. I used to, you know, operate on, like, a complete sleep deficit. Well, there's sleep deficit, and then there's like, uh, and then there's like, I've been answering the same question in an interval of an hour all day long. Yeah, I don't think I have though. I, I think you know, in each interview, like, there's been, you know, I, I don't, I guess I have become somebody with a public narrative in in the way that I know as an interviewer that if I have somebody with a public narrative, I got to get around that public narrative. Yeah. But uh, it's doable. <laughs> Let's see what you got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it helps. I mean, you know, I've you ease so you ease into interviews so much better. I mean, it's, when you know the person, when you have a rapport with the person, when you have a, and certainly early on, it was you and uh, I have as much of a rapport as I do with some of my guests. Oh well, that's fair. You've interviewed it, me twice. I have. I, I've. I've made. I've You've made interviewed me when I was at Down at Air America in a very bad way. You interviewed me when. When you were down in America, actually, I was. Oh, it was about show. electronic cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Which okay. didn't work out well. Oof. I've heard. I've heard you mention them a few times. Those did not stick. No, thank God. I, I don't like. I have a nicotine lozenge in right now, but I the relationship with the hand to mouth with that thing with yeah. the cigarette thing. Like I'm at a point where I don't even think about cigarettes. Lately, a little bit I have, which is disconcerting. Like to think that like for half of my life. I had a box of cigarettes. Yeah. And and that really like a box of cigarettes to me is alien. Yeah. But 
but these nicotine lozenges is fine. I just think that if I did the electronic thing, it'd get me into that. It's like a trigger. Well, yeah, I would think. Yeah, I don't know how it couldn't be. But I think that's. I think the idea. I mean, you know, the idea isn't to go to something else and then back to the cigarette. It's you but know, just it's, it's too cigarette-y. Too yeah. much like a cigarette. Like I don't. That I'm. I'm fifty. There's no fucking way. I can afford to get back into that shit. That is the stup- most stupid one. Why were you thinking about cigarettes? Well, I'm still on a lot of nicotine. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. It's just like in the last couple of days, I think maybe because I'm tired. Like, you know, they're, they're, like I've maybe smoked three cigarettes in the last, you know, 12, 13 years. Okay. You know, I've what, smoked cigars on and off here and there, but like I'm off that shit. Is, is that like a... I'm so three, three and twelve years. It seems like a situation where could have been, something could have must have been, been going terribly wrong. No, I smoked to... one when my divorce finalized. Okay, I I smoked a cigarette. Yeah, I hadn't smoked one in a while. Smoked a Marlboro, and I don't remember what the occasion of the other one was. But I remember rolling a cigarette and smoking it, and they were great. They're, they're they were great. Better when you haven't done it for a while. Ah, oh, great. The problem is, that, you know, they're they're great because it's like. You know, that's what you're chasing when you yeah. smoke. Is that, you know, that pure, like you can taste the the sweetness of the tobacco. You can feel like it's like it all comes back. Well, that's, I mean, and, and that's the problem, right? That's the, that's the heroin thing that gets everybody. How do you, how do you not go to number two right after that? Right. I mean, I'm asking you, how do you not go to number two after that? Well, I, I'm pretty terrified of cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just nothing but bad. Like, I do have a certain amount of recovery around that stuff. I shouldn't smoke any at all. But the one thing I did know when I smoked those cigarettes at those occasions was no room for that in my life. Yeah, you're scratching yourself as you're talking yeah. about cigarettes. But I mean, That's... I'm on a lot of nicotine all the time, so I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat hypocritical. Yeah, I mean, that was is the, the nicotine's supposed to be like a, a transitional thing, right? Aren't yeah, no, to... I just like it. I mean, it's just stupid now, though. But I do get, I do self medicate with it. It does work for me, it works. But like, people would argue that. All you're really medicating is the craving for for nicotine. Yeah, like you're not it, like my my body is so addicted to it that all that's making me feel good is by letting you know putting my body out of its misery for ten minutes. But it still it levels me off. Ar- arguably, maybe I should be on Lexapro or something. But for some reason, that bothers me. Are you? I mean, when 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 you when you quit these, I'm, I'm assuming that you you quit these various vices at, at different times, or did you just go? All at once. Well, you kind of got to go. Booze and drugs got to go. Yeah. You mean so, at the same time? Yeah. 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 I mean, it took a lot of fits and starts, but no, it's been be 15 years in August. No booze or drugs. Is is there a transference? I mean, you know, obviously you moved from cigarettes to, to the sure, lozenges, man. but... When you've got it, when you've got the bug, the addiction bug, it's going to go somewhere. Whether it be, uh, yeah, nicotine, coffee, sex, porn... Food, uh, drama, yeah. There's no the menu can be pretty diverse in terms of acting out. <laughs> you've got a lot, but I mean, you've got these like you've got these steady gigs, and, and I don't ways. gamble. You don't gamble. I know. I don't. I don't get the appeal to it at all. I don't never like did. losing money. Yeah, don't like that thrill. Yeah. I don't think. I think you, in order to really like gambling, you have to have experienced the thrill of winning big. <laughs> I've never won big. You you have to get there at some point though. You have to you have to you have to really gamble. So it's like it's you like have to, you have to put ten thousand down. Got to put ten thousand dollars on the line, and then if you win fifty, yeah, I can understand chasing that high. But that's interesting though, because in that way it's like 
it's like alcohol or it's like cigarettes where it's exactly it sucks the first few times you do it but you know that there's you know there's something there you gotta gamble big i think to really get the yeah to get the gambling addiction going you gotta but i do i mean i i'm i, I know people who it, you know in the way that some people can be casual alcohol drinkers i do know casual gamblers. yeah 200 bucks on a game 50 bucks on a game that kind of stuff yeah no, I no, I know like you know slot machines and people who just kind of like go yeah, to Vegas sure. and enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, I guess you enjoy it. I I don't know. To me, it's like it's 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 very work intensive to sit there and play ten dollar hands of blackjack yeah. for nine hours. It's like Jesus, boring. But to play a couple of five hundred dollar hands, <laughs> that's some crazy shit. <laughs> to just to be like James Bond for the night. I've done that where you like you're like this is just too time consuming. I'm just gonna put and then to watch it go away in one hand. You're like that didn't feel good at all. So what's it? I mean, okay, I get that the first time. What's the impulse to ever do that again? I, I don't have it. No, no. Okay, so you've never you've never done that. No, I've lost about the most I've ever lost is maybe a grand. Yeah, and I've played twenty five dollar hands, which are pretty exciting. But even that gets boring when you really start to do the numbers and think about it. Like, okay, so I'm going to go up and down for what the entire night sitting at this fucking table. Yeah, it's, it's boring. And wait for free drinks to yeah, spend I mean, more I think money. The, the best way to do it is just, it's like you might as well just put it on red or black. You know what I mean? Just put like $500 on red or black. Are you ever in Vegas? No. When was the last time you were in Vegas? Um, I don't go there. You don't go there? Not for recreation. I used to work, I used to do a gig there. Well, that's what I was going to ask because, you know, because I, I go to Vegas about once a year for work and I'm, I'm I'm not a gambler. I, I drink, but I'm not much of a drinker. And I'm wondering, you know, what you what you do with your downtime in Vegas? I don't I don't like going there. I don't really love performing there either. It's not yeah. really, it's not really really where where I shine. You know, it's really because it, it's really just sort of kind of proletariat entertaining. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like you know you you're there for people that are out having a good time or whatever. I like being in a special place for for the reason of being me. You know, and when I went to Vegas, I wasn't really a name, so I played the lounge at the Palms. It's okay. It, it was, I, I just don't. I don't like the whole idea of Vegas. Yeah. What do I do? I, I'll gamble a little bit. I'll get a good good meal. And I'll get out. I I saw I saw it not in Vegas, but I, I you know I saw you um, in the Air America days. I, but before the first time I I interviewed you, and I saw yeah. you at like I want to say like the Gotham Gotham Comic Club or something yeah. like that. But you were. You were like a middle act, and you were between. Uh, you know, we we went to see you, and you were just between. Just the, the you know, uh, the first guy was doing just like Middle Eastern impressions. Like yeah, just horribly offensive stuff. I mean, yeah. So you were you went through that ringer for a while, right? Of of going to uh, of performing at these places where people weren't necessarily going for you. No, I still do that. I mean, I don't know that I was a middle act. I can't imagine that you saw me as a middle act, but. But, you know, a lot of these rooms here are showcase rooms, so everybody does the same amount of time. Yeah. But I still do that. I still go to the comedy store. I mean, people, some people know who I am, but I think still more people don't know who I am still. Yeah. I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm not CK. I'm not a big comedy star, really. But, I mean, I do have fans now, and they show up. Like, I, there are certain areas where, you know, I, I got good following. I can sell seven, 800 seats or whatever. But, um but I still go do those rooms because I still believe that, you know, I need to do the job of the comic. Mm-hmm. I don't mind doing that. That's where you work out. That's still the nature of the comedy club is you go, you do your 15, 20 minutes and you do your job. I still have that in me. It's are, still important to me. Are you, uh, you know, you, you talk about this a lot, but are you still, um, 
do you still feel like you're fighting the audience in those, in those cases? That's, like that's starting to ease up because I feel a lot more comfortable. I don't have I, I don't have fear anymore of it. I think like for most of my life I was pretending to be fearless and I was at different degrees of anger. But I, I definitely think I have control over what I do now and I don't have any fear of the stage. So I don't fight the audience anymore. I fight myself. Like like literal literal stage fright? I don't know if it was stage fright. It wasn't stage fright. It was a fear of judgment. Hmm. I didn't mind taking the stage. Yeah. And I knew that I could stay up there for an hour or so. But it was really that, like, I would assume that the audience is, was thinking a certain way about me based on their laughter or, what they, or the laughter they had for the guy before me. Like, I would make decisions based on my own insecurity. So it was a deeper fear. It wasn't stage fright. Hmm. I could always get on stage. That went away a long time ago. But the actual fear of being myself of being guarded hmm. you know that was, was really my style I'm definitely not guarded anymore I'm not saying I'm, I'm less angry or less, <laughs> but it like like I you know the wrestling I do now is with myself not with the audience and fortunately people seem to like watching that my fans do the, the, the wrestling with yourself yeah what does that entail processing feelings through <laughs> jokes or through my humor in front of people, but you're pro- but you're processing. You know, if you if you're doing the same joke, um, you know, or, or variations of it, the same joke over and over again, you're processing it every single night. Well, I do. I mix it up a bit. You know, I do. Like, I think there's something to be said about repeating jokes and getting them right, yeah. and and just you know working out that muscle. A lot of times, those rooms are good for that. Like, maybe you don't have any new jokes, but you just want to stay in shape. Yeah. You know, just you know, go do your job. You know, keep you know. Keep solid. It's like a gym. You know what I mean? But lately I've been doing some new stuff. And like lately for me, you know, generally there's a little bit of variation. And generally I look for places where I can push further into a different area or find the, the sort of uh, the courage to, to sort of go off book entirely and, you know, do that. And I do, I've been doing some long shows to build a new hour since I don't really write on paper. Uh, you know, I have to write on stage. So I have to book out small venues to you know invite my fans to come watch me ramble through an hour and a half of stuff that's pretty raw and try to shape it has has your writing i mean now that you're now that you're like a the tv writer has has your writing changed has your on stage writing changed at all no it hasn't and it sometimes i think it should <laughs> you know i i know i can do it but there's something about the thrill of the moment that i can't get around and also thinking on my feet up there and letting things happen. I don't want to go up there prepared. I have a fantasy of doing a very structured hour that's very uh, that I know is going to hit every time. But I, I still like I, I like something to happen that's not going to happen again, or that like I like having the freedom to think out loud and, and find discover things in the moment. That's that's a real thrill for me. Not making a joke work as much. I, that's a thrill too, but. It's just sort of like winging it. So the, I mean, so, so what? The, the 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 beats are there, the punchlines are there, but what's in between isn't necessarily there. No, sometimes the punchlines aren't there. Sometimes jokes aren't finished. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just the idea. Sometimes it's just the story itself. Uh, you know, it takes a while for the beats to fall in place. I mean, some of them. You know, I know some beats are really tight, and I can do those on TV. They're good to have these things that you know work over and over again for when you got to do TV or. You know, do a tight set or do an hour. It's good to have those ones. But, no, just new ideas, like actually just starting the dialogue about 
whatever's going on that day or a relationship or whatever and seeing, you know, if there's some meat to it, seeing where it goes in the moment and then, you know, saying like, well, that's something. I'll try. I'll repeat that again tomorrow and see if it'll go further. And then eventually they kind of evolve. Those beats evolve. They stay solid through repetition. Have you have you have you become more guarded at all over the years? I mean, are you you know obviously less guarded? You've become less guarded over the years. Yeah. I, you know, I've, you've probably I assume you've you've I've, and this is, this is something you're dealing with on the new season of the show, um, of having those reveals on stage and maybe you know maybe having that sort of strain these personal relationships in your life. Definitely. Yeah, no, that, the first episode is about that, about being with the woman who doesn't like me talking about our relationship. That's happened. That's a tough negotiation Yeah, to figure out what you can and can't do. And then even when you can't do it, sometimes I would do it out of town. <laughs> yeah, I'd do material and be like, no, you guys can tell her I said this. That's <laughs> the, the problem with social media is that, like, you know, you got to trust people. You know, like, like with Twitter and stuff, it used to be like I could go out and do an hour on my relationship and it would never get back to her. Yeah. You know, now... Wait, wait people uh, literally tweeting your... your no, they name. don't. But I tell them not to. Yeah. Yeah. So can we not talk about this publicly? Okay. So And, 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 they, and they listen now? They're I have be- pretty good audience. pretty good about it. But... I don't have it. I don't do it that much. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's usually just a couple of jokes, you know? But, you know, now that you're... Now that you're out there, I mean, you can't, you know, if you go on TV with, with that or if you're on a Yeah, I've gotten in trouble or, because of that. Yeah. And, yeah, the first episode deals directly with that. And those things do, do really happen. The, I mean, that's, you know, the, the, t, the TV show, I mean, you know, obviously it's got to be, a, you know, to, to a degree fictional, but it, it seems to, to echo your life pretty closely in, in some ways. Um, you know, do, do, you, do you wish you had a little bit more of a time buffer between between real life and and that story i don't know time buffer just a buffer in general you know my my particular style and method is is very revealing so a filter instead of a buffer well no i just i i just don't know how to fill all the demands that's my fear is that Mm. if i talk about something on the podcast and i think it's like well it's a good you know, it's good. It seems to have some moment. It could be a good bit. Yeah. And then I build it out as a bit. Like my fear is that like, I'm going to run out of life and that's not going to match up for people's demand for content. Like people are very entitled about that. It's very hard as a single person, a man to fight with, you know, you do an hour and a half special and then you tour two months later and people are like, Oh no, I heard some of that stuff. I'm like, yeah. what do you want me to do? It took me two years, three years to build that shit. Yeah. Well, I'm supposed to turn it over in three months. You know, it's like they, they, their expectations are sometimes unreasonable and they should appreciate the work for what it is. You know, it's not just you can't just throw away three years of your life or your act. It's hard, but we do. Certain comics set a standard for that. Louis, with his insistence on a new hour every year, has kind of raised the bar for all of us. And so now we're all running around building new hours every year, which is fine. But uh, but it's sad to let some jokes go. I'll tell you that. But you're, I mean, you're 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 doubling or tripling down on that now because you're not just doing stand up. You're doing the show, which deals with well, your I life. I see them as all distinctly different. You know, the show it's a different medium. It's a different context. It's a different writing. Uh, you know, a lot of that's fiction, mm-hmm. 
and you know it is for television i know some of my fans would be like oh this happened to him but those stories are all independent of my life most of them you know most of them are com- are not they're not they're fictionalizations but some of them are just just the seeds of the story are, are events in the life not the story itself i mean some of the narratives did happen to me but most of them this season are not specifically mm. all the way through the narrative things that happened exactly but emotionally they're honest do you think that's part of the appeal is you know these these people who are following you over from from your stand-up following you over from from the podcast who know these little bits and pieces of your life or seeing them flushed out on the show i think some of them may enjoy that i don't know some of them might not I, i don't know but i do know that since the first season is on netflix that um a lot of people are coming to me not knowing anything about me. Mm-hmm. Like I still am a, a, a person who is relatively unknown in the big picture. So all of a sudden these people on Netflix, they see there's 10 episodes of a season of a thing by a guy they never even heard of. <laughs> and they resonate and with everything it. else on Netflix. So now well, yeah, and they binged on that and they're yeah. like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. So now those people are the ones that are really in the enviable position because they're like, we've well, got a podcast. What the hell is that? And now there's 500 episodes of that. And that's, there's another season of this thing. I didn't know who this guy was last <laughs> week. And now I've got a year's worth of material, you know, to, to sort of dig into. Yeah. That's, that's great. So, so why, why, why keep the show, you know, why have it follow you that closely? Why not just, you know, fully, fully fictionalize it? Well, I think this season we did do some of that. Okay. I mean, there's definitely the premiere episode deals with some real events mm-hmm. around, you know, a girlfriend being upset with, with how it, how, with doing material, but the bulk of the story is me, you know, dealing with an opportunity to be seen on television and and by by certain executives, and they want to see me on Talking Dead. So then that puts me in in relationship with Hardwick and Michael Ian Black, and and you know their relationship with me that's slightly fictionalized. So <laughs> so that story is you know most of the episodes, Mark's family is fiction. The characters are based on my my family, but. The events of the story are fiction. Uh, my the mom situation's fiction. The uh, desert road trips fiction. Um, white truck is based on a real story, but it's it's definitely fictionalized. So what's the what's you know for for you what's the the primary difference between sitting down to write season two versus versus season one? I mean, you were obviously kind of learning how to be a TV writer. The first I was learning time. how to do everything. I was yeah. learning how to write television. I was learning how to act on television. I was learning how to produce television. Uh, I just knew going in that I wanted to have the scripts done. I was nervous about whether or not we would be able to break 13 stories. For season we, one? For season two. Like I, from season one, I learned that I'm a little more confident this season, so I wanted to you know, take a little more time and focus on you know, making choices as an actor. Uh, I was nervous that we wouldn't be able to fill the stories out, but that came very easily, which made me realize that the world, the fictionalized world of my life is, is refillable. You know, if we and, you know, also just sort of looking at the character of Mark from the first season and like I was just sort of like in it and now like to watch it with a little distance. It's like, well, that's you know, that seems to be what he does. Those things. That's funny. So let's write the strengths of this character and and take advantage of the emotional depth of the character and you know, be aware of those things 
where we weren't really aware of that stuff in season one. It was just me, like, trying to do as close to life as possible. So, so I mean, you are, you're a character in season two in the way that maybe you necessarily weren't the first time around. I mean, it really was. Well, I think was. I was the first time around, just by nature of the medium. Yeah. But to be conscious of it and write to it is something we had more ability to do season two because we could see it in action. You know, how I act and, you know, what you know, I do innately comedically, you know, in season one. So I mean, what what like what surprised you in terms of how how Mark the character is different from you? Just just watching yourself play the character. Well, I think the tricky thing is I'm a pretty broad character. I, I have a lot of capabilities. I have a lot of emotional range, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like you know, kind of focusing in and, and using those. You know, focusing that stuff because you know you got 22 minutes. You got a story to honor. So you know, where do we get emotional? Where you know, can I do broader comedy? Where you know, where. Is it uh, where can I make different choices? Like we could sort of realize I had control over some of these things and and utilize them. Uh, you're, I, I know. Yeah, I, I watched the I, I watched the first episode today, which is why I keep referencing it over and over again. But uh, you're 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 notably better actor from b- between season one and season two. Yeah, I'm, are you? Do, is that just from doing all these episodes? Are you are you studying with somebody? No, it was just from like, you know, I knew I could, I knew I was comfortable and I knew that I was compelling and I knew that I had some natural ability, mm-hmm. but you know, learning how to do that stuff on the schedule that we have to keep, you know, doing eight to 15 page days, you know, and, and, and doing an episode in three days mm-hmm. that there were like, I was just flying by the seat of my pants and showing up for work first season. But now it's sort of like, I knew I had a, a little more control than 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 i might have assumed and that you know if i wanted to do something twice or i wanted to make different choices around it we take the time to do it and also i felt a little more confident you know and i knew that i needed to listen more i made notes on you know my acting first season you know to you know be aware of when i was being self-conscious and try to you know stay in the moment as much like i i made personal notes and i also had dave anthony who i brought in as a writer on the show and also he appears in several episodes. He's a pretty good actor, and I trusted my writers to, you know, keep an eye on me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, like I, I went out of my way to tell him. I said, "Look, you know, if you see different choices I can make, or, or we can play this differently, you know, the director a lot of times on TV, they're in charge of the vision of it, but they also need to get coverage. So there's a lot of like, we got to, we got to keep getting the coverage we need to edit. They're worried about other things. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, they obviously know when something hits, but yeah. but subtle stuff." You know, I really had Dave and the writers, you know, keep an eye on me. And if there were other choices or they thought, you know, I should play it a different way, you know, come out and tell me and let's get it in the can. Was it hard to go back, especially, you know, the first couple of episodes, was it hard to go back and watch yourself as an actor? Yeah, it's always a little hard because, like, I'm very sensitive to it. I know, like, a lot of people thought I did a pretty good job. And I know comics, it's tricky for comics to to evolve as an actor. I knew there was going to be a learning curve for that. I mean, on some level... Why would I be different than any comic in this position? You know, we're you know we have stagecraft, we live on stage, but we're not fundamentally actors. I'm always I'm always impressed though by you know there there are a lot of comedians out there who seem to just seamlessly make this transition into acting and who do you know a pretty good job of it. Well, yeah, I mean because we're you know we we're we're show people. You know, we we spend our lives on stage, but we don't always spend our lives interacting with people. So I mean, is it is it is it then is it easier or is it harder that you're you're essentially playing yourself or a you know character of yourself? 
Well, it's easier because, like, you know, I, everything I say, I've got to be okay saying. And it was written for me, by me, usually. Even if, you know, if we all wrote the script together, whoever it was. I mean, because of IFC's support and, and the nature of what we're doing, it's all got to run through me. I'm not doing anything I can't do or I don't want to do. So there's a naturalness to it. So playing myself is, I'm going to play myself in any role for the most part. You know, as, as you said, it's, 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 it's fictionalized, and it sounds like as it's gone on, it's got a, a little more fictionalized, or you guys have sort of spread your wings out for season two. And I'm wondering if, you know, as you're going along, if you can point to anything that you did it as a character that you wouldn't necessarily do in that situation. Well, yeah, no, I definitely, I don't get as worked up. I don't, you know, there's, there's not a, a, as much deliberation What's right? What's the wrong thing to do? Mm-hmm. How do I get out of this? Whatever. I mean, all that stuff has to be sort of condensed. Yeah. You can't go through the whole arc of me losing my mind for 45 <laughs> minutes before I do something. Might be you a know? fun episode, though, just to sure. you know, have a vision quest sure. on one of these in between. Well, there's a bit of a vision quest. But, you know, I, like I, for me to, to get to a place with things, you know, it's going to take some time. You know, whether it's an argument with a girlfriend or, you know, you know, about to interview a guest or dealing with my parents or whatever, you know, getting into that mindset, you know, that whole process of me deliberating what to do and how to do it and all that stuff. You know, you don't have time for that. So you kind of get to the, the, the crux of the matter, you know. There, there, there's that arc that you see with with bands, you know, the first couple of records and then they get big and then at some point all their songs are about being rock stars. Obviously it works for, it works for like cheap trick. It works for some bands. But, yeah. Um, is, is that something you end up running into when you're, you know, starting the show, uh, a TV show that maybe starts a couple of years before? I don't know. It seems like, you know, with the TV show like this, you know, if there's an arc at all, it's just me dealing with a, a bit of traction, a little bit more success, you know, trying to, you know, deal with opportunity and, and deal with, you know, the, the, the falling apart of a relationship and, and that stuff. And also, we, there was more episodes based around my life as a comic. We mm-hmm. stayed away from that first season, you know, very intentionally to separate it from other comedian shows. You know, we focused more on podcasting. There wasn't much of me doing stand-up or living the life of a comic, which I do live. And there's more of that in this, this, uh, this season. But I think, you know, speaking to the point that I said earlier is that, you know, the world is not, you know, the world is a refillable world. The character is something that can live in the world, even if my life is small, which it is relatively. There's no reason we can't take that that world and throw things into it that wouldn't necessarily happen in real life or take me out into the world in a way that I wouldn't necessarily do in real life. You know, but but I guess like you you can sort of get into uh, you can paint yourself into a corner in, in so much as... Well, yeah, like, I, I worry about that with everything, is that, you know, like, are these problems that I have, you know, do they just... Are they changing? Am I growing? But, but even beyond that, you know, it's like, at what point does this become a TV show about a guy who does a TV show? Oh, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know. Um, it's sort of interesting, because Louis used me in an episode of his show this season. And, and that's sort of addressed from the other side of it. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what... I mean, I, I think we're still a few seasons away from that, so I, I guess we can cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. But you, you, but you, uh, you, play, you play Mark the, the podcast host, or you play Mark the comedian, or on, 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 on Louis' show? Um, well, no, I play me. Yeah. But, but, you know, did you see me on his show the last time? I, I didn't. I didn't. 
It's sort of a, a continuation of that dynamic. Okay. I don't want to spoil Louis' show, so you <laughs> have to wait. There you go. That was uh, it was Mark Marin. Uh, uh, first time we've ever done a repeat interview on the show. Uh, as, as I mentioned at the top, I'm, I'm kind of actually factoring out the whole Dave Hill situation, um, which was uh, he, we had him on the show and then like kind of that night that he was taking over the FMU time slot from uh, from Best Show. So we did a, a two parter on that one. This is the first time we've legitimately had somebody back on the show, uh, and I'm glad we had Mark back on because the, the first time we spoke to him, it was very truncated. That was a, a 15 minute long interview. Um, we kind of we're, we're cramming two interviews together. So I, I did a, a, a video interview with him for uh, my day job at the time at Engadget, and then we just kind of like kept the log mics on and just snuck in a, a quick interview for this show. But full-on full on Mark Marin interview this time, uh, as he was in town uh, promoting the second season of Marin, which just started on IFC. And I was speaking to uh, the woman from IFC just before the interview as we were uh, waiting for Mark to finish the interview ahead in the lobby. And she mentioned that he had just flown in on a red eye and that this was the last interview of the day. So he was like in New York for I think like 24 hours and was some somewhere like... Eight or twelve hours into the interview process, so I was a little bit worried that it was not going to go particularly well because you know it was going to be, I guess, a little bit um, beat by the end of the interview. But uh, I thought it, uh, I thought it went pretty well. Uh, fun, fun interview with Mark. Um, you can watch Marin right now on uh, on IFC. It's uh, as I mentioned before, in its second season, first season. All on Netflix. You can watch that all in one sitting. And then, of course, you know, WTF, ongoing twice a week so many so much mark so much mark Marin out there right now um, people are saying hey how can we hear mark Marin talking to a microphone for another uh, another 30 minutes so you're welcome america uh, so thanks to mark for for taking the time to do that interview thanks to ifc for setting that up uh, ifc also a week before that set up an interview with scott ackerman so he will be the second follow-up interview we've ever done for the show so that's coming up in the the near future uh got all sorts of great interviews lined up for the show uh Rayleigh wiley hubbard who uh, i mentioned before Eric friedlander um is a uh, really fantastic uh, cellist we've got some more cartoonists coming up lots of musicians uh lots of lots of good stuff lined up on the show i spoke to i just you know i just spoke to dick gregory in the back of a taxi cab and food poisoning so that's gonna be a really fun one for you guys to listen to as well so uh so stick around lots of good shows coming up and we will be back next week with another episode of ROYL.